So on today's episode of Game Mastery, it's kind of episode zero. Like people have session zero for campaigns where everybody gets together and talks. Well, this is kind of episode zero of Edition Wars. So we're going to be talking about the different editions of Dungeons and Dragons from the beginning up through 5e. And our goal is to then go and run one adventure a little bit at a time with the same characters through each iteration major iteration of Dungeons and Dragons so that we can get a taste of how those systems work and maybe if any of them are even worth playing today. And as always, I'm Steve. I'm Mark. I'm Tracy. And I'm Andrew. <laughs> Did you throw that delay in there just to mess with me? Yes. You're, <laughs> you're a terrible person. Had it all lined up this time. Paybacks. I was in... I had, I had everybody enumerated, as Tracy had mentioned before, and that's fine. So, about the, the different versions of Dungeons & Dragons... We've kind of made an editorial decision about the five versions, because there are really more than five versions of Dungeons and Dragons. So we're compressing everything from second edition to the birth of Dungeons and Dragons into one kind of group. Because from the first time Dungeons and Dragons was published through second edition, there was kind of an evolutionary progression of the rules, as opposed to third, fourth, and fifth, which were revolutionary changes to the rules, where there were fundamental things that were different that made it to where you couldn't really use the same source material. So, if anyone wants to nitpick, that is why we're doing four character creation sessions. Four kind of gaming sessions for the different systems, rather than five plus all the permutations between when it was published and second edition. I think we're all okay with that. Andrew's making faces, and I'm not sure why. It's my happy face. Damn it! You say that every time. One of these days, it's not going to be your happy face, and then I'm not going to know what to do. But I'll still ask the question, and you'll be like, I'm furious. And I'll be like, oh my god. Like right now. I still don't know. I wish people could see it. Basically, all they would see would be something that looks kind of like an avatar. An unmoving, stoic avatar. Happy. So, Andrew, <laughs> you have been saddled with taking us through the oldest version of Dungeons & Dragons. So, do you have some info on what that, what that entails? little history about the first version of Dungeons & Dragons? Yeah, a that little. first era? Yeah, I've got a little little bit of info. A little, little bit. That's the edition I grew up with. So, I mean, I actually had the advanced Dungeons & Dragons DMG and Player's Handbook. I think my mother threw them away when I went to college because she thought they were demonic. But, you know, there's that. Anyhow, the... 
the the first edition and the second edition kind of run together and advanced Dungeons and Dragons AD and D as opposed to the original pamphlets that had been written by Gary Gygax initially was really designed for well it evolved out of a very general set of rules that were very flexible and fluid and resulted in different game styles at every table. The D, it was open to a lot of interpretation, the rules were in the early days. And then AD&D came out as a hardback book to sort of formalize the rules for tournament play so that you could have some consistency if you were at different tables playing the same adventure, that sort of thing for uh, tournament play. I've never played in a tournament, a D&D tournament, and I'm not really sure how that all works. I'm guessing if you survive, you win. It's it's sort of a, so, which gives you a little indication of how it was in the early days. Survival was kind of the the goal, just making it through. And so, the AD&D as a role playing game was it, it coded they codified everything initially. It seemed like there was a table for everything in that early edition. And a lot of that came out of that desire to have some consistency at the table so that the DM wasn't making it up on the fly. There was some consistency. There was a, actually a table to check on this particular event and figure out what the odds were and those types of things. So very structured in that sense. The I'm not sure it was play tested to the degree that we would play test modern games. And a little of that shows that the, in, a lot of the inconsistencies in the game, not so much that the rules made, the rules themselves had a lot of inconsistent, there was a lot of ambiguity a little bit in the rules, but just the inconsistency in the little details about the way they adjusted things. And the combat really relied on this FACO system where you had a base to hit number that you would write down on your character sheet that would be your reference for hitting an armor class of zero. And then you would add the armor class to the role that you, to the armor, you would add the armor class of your target to that value. And that would determine what you had to roll on the die to score a hit. And at the time, it didn't seem very complicated, but now that it's gotten easier, I guess, the combat's got system's gotten easier. Looking back on it, it seems very confusing, but at the time, it wasn't confusing at all. It was sort of just as you went up in level, your Thaco improved, your ability to hit armor class zero got better, and everybody's did. Different classes leveled at different rates, so your fighter improved his Thaco every single round. Your wizard didn't improve, I think it was like every third or every fourth level. The the armor class for it to hit improved. So the classes, your ability to improve changed. And it's and now we use proficiencies. You know, you you get a, your weapon proficiency and that advances at a particular static rate for every few levels that you go up. It's not really class dependent. So those were some of the the core bits. There were still the the generation of characters was pretty much the same. There were some hardcore uh, GMs, DMs that would require you to roll three six-sided die. You took what you got and you had to roll them in order. So the you rolled three six-sided die and if you ended up with a four, 
then that was your strength. And that's where you went with. And But that wasn't the only method that was outlined in the DMG. There were other methods to do. And they came out with other publications later. Our Unearthed Arcana was published that added to some different methodologies for generating characters and things like that and softened up some of the rules. In some ways, it made things a little worse. There were more classes. It differed from the basic set in that it split up races and classes in the basic set classes and races were kind of blurred together so you could be an elf and elves were essentially just magic users in the basic set and AD&D split that up and gave us different classes. The classes were more discreet than they are today. You get a lot of ability to jump between classes. Originally, humans were the only race that could multi-class. You could there was a provision there for elves to do something special with a bard, I think, but other than that and your ability scores determined what class or race you could be. And it could even determine your gender. So there was, we're talking about this 1970s here, which was kind of neat, that if you had an 18100 strength, you couldn't be a female uh, in AD&D because that was the ultimate strength. And the, that 18100 new players may not recognize that if you rolled an 18 for your strength, you got to add a... A percentage value as your bonus to that 18. So that was that exceptional strength of having that perfect score of an 1800. And I think strength was the only one that actually applied that. So, but yeah, your race was determined and your class was determined by your ability scores. You couldn't play certain classes if your constitution was too low or your strength wasn't high enough. You had to have a minimum strength to be a fighter and a minimum constitution, I think, to be a, a, a dwarf. And if your roles were not that, that would that class wasn't available to you. Most people just sort of ignored that and and, and fudged it at the table. But you know, for tournament play, that was something that was sort of locked in. I love the blobber style of computer game. Still keeps that. So games like Wizardry Seven or Grimoire, you still you, you roll your stats and you have to roll a certain amount to get access to certain classes and i always i always thought it was cool that they had because those games were based on you know dungeons and dragons and even more current games they frequently keep that feature including like you know where the gender affects your stats and everything in the uh and the classes were more fixed less flexible than they are now i would say it wasn't until second edition kind of really fleshed out that we got these kind of kits or specialty abilities, but you had, you know, a paladin, a cavalier, a fighter, you had a monk, you had some specific types of classes, the bard, all of these were in AD&D. And when we shifted to second, there was a little bit of change there in the organization. And I think it was mainly to simplify rule explanation because you would talk about a fighter and you weren't sure, well, am I talking about all fighter kind of classes or am I talking about the specific fighter class? It was a little confusing. So in second edition, they broke that down into broader categories of warrior. And then you had paladin and fighter and ranger and those things fell underneath the warrior class. And then you had priest and there you had clerics and druids. Have that fell into that priest class, and then you had magic users where you had wizards. We didn't have sorcerers in uh, second edition, but you had illusionists or you had specialty wizards as your class, like necromancers, in that magic user category. 
And then there was the rogue class where the thief and the bard kind of fell into. In AD&D, the bard was kind of more of a cross between a fighter magic user type of thing. And then in second edition, they kind of moved that a little bit over to the to the rogue area. And I think elves and bards, there was a close connection there with elves and bards where they could, I don't know, they sort of bent the rules for bards in a way to include the elves. It was a, It's an odd fix, but they fixed all that pretty much in second edition. The key differences between first edition AD&D and second edition really has to do with surprise. First edition used a D6, and if you rolled a one or a two, you were surprised. And if you rolled a one and the monster rolled a two, you were surprised the monster wasn't. If you rolled a two and the monster didn't, rolled a one, the monster was surprised. If you just rolled a one or two and the monster rolled higher than a two, you were surprised. It was a, there, there was a table for surprise and you had a surprise round, which is different from nowadays. And the class, you went, the initiative order broke down into segments and it was a little complicated and a lot of people just sort of fudged that as well at the table because it was kind of burdensome to, to to muddle through. Second edition fixed a little of that, but we had two concepts that I kind of miss nowadays. One of those was spell casting time and weapon speed. And it changed your position in so you had a declaration moment before you would go in second edition, first and second edition, where you would say, I'm going to attack with my longsword, or I'm going to cast this particular spell, and you would declare your action before you rolled initiative, because you wouldn't know whether or not you were going to be able to complete that action or not. And if you cast a spell like Fireball, it may have a penalty to your initiative roll to actually execute. So you would roll your initiative and then add that penalty to find out when you actually cast that spell. And weapon speed would bump you down on the initiative roll. In first, in AD&D, you rolled as a party. Second edition, it was a little flexible to either roll as a party or roll individually. And you started using a 10-sided die plus weapon speed and or... So if you were using a broadsword or using like a battle axe, that's a slower weapon than, say, a rapier. And so... If you rolled, if you used a battle axe, you took a penalty on your initiative on whether you were going to hit. And your opponent, if they had a faster weapon, they may be able to attack you first merely because they had a faster weapon and they had higher decks. So that was kind of an interesting thing that speed, the advantage of being the first attacker, was weighed into the choice of weapon and the choice of spell that you're going to do. Made it kind of a more tactical game, which is kind of was Gygax's, you know, history. That's where he came. That's where D&D emerged from was sort of tabletop strategy games. There were, so surprise and initiative, those were two differences between first edition and second edition. The classes were sort of reorganized in second edition. The, other than that, there's pretty much the same. You can pick up a first edition module and run it with second edition rules with no modifications. The, the Thacko's the same. The hit points are the same. The difficulty of the creature is pretty much the same. You're not going to have any huge hiccups in taking a first edition adventure, one that was printed for first edition, and running it with a second edition piece. The, there might be, if you were using the, the stat block, if you were using the stat block in first edition, you might have to include some additional information in the stat block to, to flesh that out for second edition, but they're backwards compatible as well. You could take a second edition adventure and run it in first edition without any effort, really. 
would you compare it to the changes between 3.0 and 3.5? Yeah, about sort that. Sort of more yeah. like that then. Yeah, they clean, just cleaned up a lot, lot and made the rules easier. Uh, and by easier, I mean easier to understand. The, the, the rule set was housed in the Dungeon Master's Guide in first edition. That's where all the rules were. You couldn't really even build out your full character in the, with the player's handbook without the DMG because it, the DMG provided you background on how to select your A, other factors to flesh out your character. You needed the, the tables that were in the DMG to finish building your character. The, the how to play the game was all included in the DMG, not in the player's handbook. In second edition, they included all of the core nuts and bolts of how to run the game in the player's handbook. And it was all in one location where it, and it was easily defined. When you were playing first edition, you had to you were never really sure which book to look for to find the information. And uh, second edition kind of streamlined that. They fixed a lot of the cumbersome, awkward stuff without really changing it. In fact, they pretty much just adopted house rules that had kind of been were kind of patches for or explanations for how to do it and clarified things. It's not a huge difference between second edition and first edition. The uh, the marketing for first edition was really based on the publication of marketing, I mean modules, and adding modules or selling modules. And so there were a lot of pre-done kind of adventures for first and second edition. The second edition added lots of supplements. Lot there's a complete thieves handbook, there's a complete priest's handbook, there's a complete elves handbook, there's a complete book of humans, there's all of these supplements that add flavor essentially to the game. They're not necessary for play. Most players that I knew bought the handbook for their favorite character or a couple handbooks for their favorite character. They didn't go out and buy them all. They just, you know, I play a wizard, I'm going to get the wizard's handbook. So that and they gave you strategies for customizing your player and adding flavor and trying to think how your wizard would would be and gave you some additional spells, but they were all kind of the the additional content was pretty minor relative to the flavor stuff, I guess. And they introduced this notion of kits, which was kind of cool because it allowed you to essentially customize your your character, your thief, for example, to be a specific type of. You would, you would, and you just balanced out these penalties. It had, yes, these kits had a little penalty to what you could do and a little bonus to what you could do elsewhere. And so it was a good balanced way to present that stuff. Second edition's still kind of rock solid. I mean, it's, it, it did a good job for what it did. It cleaned up the original, made it more accessible to a new audience. I wouldn't try to get a brand new role player to start off with first edition. It's cumbersome to learn the rules and develop a character and stuff. But the layout of the book, second edition, much improved. Yeah, I would definitely run with second. That's kind of my starting point, and which is kind of what we're doing. We're going to probably use second edition rules to run through our, our adventure when we're doing our little exploration of the different versions. You know, one of the things about Dungeons and Dragons from before I knew about it through the end of second edition, which was really around 1999-2000 when they started work on the D20 system for third edition, is that first 26 years of published material went from, hey, we've got this 
supplement to your wargaming. You really need to have access to chain mail, and you need to have access to this other thing about wilderness adventures and combat. But we've got this kind of layer, this fantasy role-playing layer that we put over top of it. And then in, in very short order, over three, four years, they said, well, let's, let's just expand that to the books. And you get the player's handbook, the Dungeon Master's Guide, and the Monster Manual between 77 and 79. And then that, that core reworking of the original rules and system kind of carried everything through for 20 years. Everything from second edition and, and before is really similar. It's just been a, a, an evolution of the same system. And one of the things I didn't like about second edition was its attempt to sanitize the uncomfortable from it. So they remove demons and devils. They remove the assassin. So they remove these pieces that gave people a bad impression about Dungeons and Dragons. And they actually did the same thing some four years later at Wizards of the Coast between the first, you know, versions, Alpha through Revised of the magic card set, where they, after that, took out things like, you know, your demonic tutor and your, you know, cards like that. And so there, there was a, a, a thing, a very real thing during that time period that these games had an image that they needed to change. They had a connection to evil. And we had to take that out because we didn't want people to think our, you know, our product made kids worship the devil. And so I, that was one of the things I really didn't like looking at the second edition books you when I was they, deciding whether I should upgrade. You thought they sold out? I thought they caved. And, you know, being someone who grew up on the previous texts, I was like, I turned out okay. Didn't you try and curse somebody? <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> But but that was that was uh, Earth magic from real life. That was real magic. That wasn't yeah. the, that, that was wasn't real the magic stuff. That was Demons not that, aren't not real. That, that was that was right. the real stuff. Right. Not that oh, not that silly game stuff. I had an, I had an apple and a grudge. I was ready to go. So <laughs> yeah, and 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 in second edition, you know, they're, they changed the monster man. They're still doing this today, Steve. What, the sanitization? Of... No, I mean, you, you just have oh. values of the, you know, of, of your player base has changed. And so there are efforts to address that. It's, it's just. But you see, in that case, in that case, it was not the player base value. Well, I would say, it argue that probably it's parents. not every player base value that's being addressed today either, where there's a lot of, you know. There's a, there's, a, there's a segment of the fan base that is up in arms over the removal of drow being perceived as evil or orcs being perceived as evil, and they think that that's ridiculous and foolish, and I don't care one way or the other. Really, you've got enough latitude in your own home game to address that stuff as you want. So if you know Wizards of the Coast wants to 
shape their corporate image in a particular way, that's that's their right to do that. And so. Uh-huh. They took out half orcs at the time, too, because, you know, they were bad news. Well, I think they were discussing a little bit of that even currently is because they were, I guess, I don't know. Yes. So second edition, evolution. Yeah. A good solid, I mean, it's a solid, you can't go wrong with second edition. Right. You, you can't go wrong with it. It's a lot of time play tested, a lot of time built. It also is the only edition with uh, supported material for the Planescape setting, which to me was always one of the coolest settings. Hmm. Yeah, I liked Planescape, but I thought that was third edition too. Was it not? No, they had the manual of the planes in third, which had a lot of things from the Planescape setting, but it wasn't, like, actually built on the... The city of Like, let me put it this way. Yeah, there weren't Planescape, like, modules or anything that they released. You know what I mean? Like, and it didn't really give you the real flavor of Sigil. Like, there was, like, you know, maybe a page on it, if that... You know what I mean? Which, I mean, if you know anything about the Planescape setting, that would, that's insane. If you were actually going to try and run a, a campaign in Sigil. They made a video game and in sec- Sigil. I remember that Dungeons and Dragons video yeah, game. Planescape Torment, Torment was yeah. a... One yeah, of the few Planescape video Torment games I Baldur's ever played. <laughs> I love Planescape Torment. They also took out psionics in second edition. So I, I had a few bones to pick with second well, edition. Just, just saying. Just saying. Psionics. I mean, psionics was never fully formed in the original. It was game People didn't use Nobody it. Nobody liked it. Only you liked I, it because you liked it. game breaking okay. stuff. I think I you like, played a Cavalier like, too, didn't you? I like freedom. You liked the, ca- you liked a slight, you had like a psionic Cavalier. I, there was something. It doesn't matter. You know the, it doesn't matter. <laughs> On the third edition. (laughs) So with third edition, it was actually kind of cool because they, at this same time, I've got to clear my throat. throat) Mmm. Tea. Yum. So at this time, and I think I mentioned this when we were talking about it on the side a few days ago, Apple Computer had released the core of its idea for its operating system for its new machines as a, a, an open source license, the, the core of it. And so there was this push in the late 90s and early 2000s to kind of share technology and, and use your fans as, free as labor. tools as free labor. Yeah. Yes. And so Apple did that to great effect with OS ten, And it's so did Facebook. 10. It's how did Facebook do it? Your created content is their, that's their whole oh, platform. Oh, I see, I see, I see, I see. We are the content for other people to right. absorb ads. That's true. So that model's been running like gangbusters for 22 years now, yeah. 21 years. Well, the people behind Dungeons & Dragons did the same thing, and they opened up this new D20 system to kind of streamline everything and you can still access it the 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 core rules and you can download it and you can make your own supplements for Dungeons and Dragons using these core rules well 
with third edition. So that that came out in 2000, 2001. And they did a good job of kind of simplifying everything to make almost everything run on a D20. Skill rolls, hit rolls, you know, just just about everything. And it was pretty fantastic because it took the way that combat worked in second edition and third edition took that and said, okay, we've got a grid system and we can do tactical gameplay and we can use miniatures and all that. So they took the best parts of second edition and then adapted it for this D20 role. And additionally, they said, we're not going to restrict people based on, you know, the class and race combinations anymore. And we're going to take out the level advancement hit that you get if you're a non-human character. And so they really took a lot of the things that were clunky and kludgy from second and before, and they polished them out. Is kludgy a word? He just made kludgy. it up. Yeah. Kludgy. Yeah. Kludgy. So, you know, and one of the great things about it is because they released it this way and people had this content for the core game and they could make their own stuff, there was an explosion of supplements and an explosion of companies that made adventures and they made similar to the second edition kits. You know, you had these supplemental books for the classes, you had supplemental books for spells, equipment, and all this stuff. There was just a wealth of it. And probably the, the biggest name was Paizo, P-A-I-Z-O, who created their own things. They had actually been hired to control the magazine kind of publishing part for Dungeons & Dragons magazines. And then that was taken away from them. They started putting their efforts into doing supplements. And then the people behind Dungeons & Dragons said, we're going to, after three years, create a new version, 3.5. You're welcome. Deal with it. And so they, they modified the rules in three, streamlined it even more, but they changed some things in, in how spells worked, and they removed some spells, and they added some spells, and there were just these little bitty tweaks that they made between 3.5 and 3, and which normally would be fine, but one of the problems is they really didn't warn anybody. So the people that were putting out all this supplemental material suddenly had a revision that in some cases really affected, like if you had someone who was putting out a, a volume of spells, yet, you know, these tiny little mechanics, you know, change how the spells work and the timing and, and whatnot. So they really ran afoul of the people who were publishing these supplements. And so it's like Paizo got hit twice. You know, we're going to take the magazine publishing away from you and, oh, you're doing a good job on supplements where we're going to mess that up too. And then in 2007, they say, hey, we're going to go to fourth edition. And so they had, they had a seven-year arc for three and three-five where they took all of this 26 years of material of Dungeons and Dragons and totally revamped it to make it more accessible, to make it streamlined. People just dug it. They bought into it. 
It was a success. It spawned all this business. And then they said, we're, we're going to come out with fourth edition. So the people at Paizo said, well, we're just going to keep publishing our own version. We're going to publish Pathfinder, which is essentially 3.75. And it's still going strong today. And we're going to do that. And you go do your fourth edition and go get bent. And so, you know, one of the cool things about third compared to previous versions is that it gave you a freedom that you didn't have before. You had a freedom in races, you had a freedom in classes, you had a freedom in advancement and development. And it, it spawned a wealth of materials. And I had, a, I had a note somewhere, and I can't find it now, about just how many supplements were created during that time. And it was kind of... It's a, insane. Yeah. It was astonishing. And I knew people that had bookshelves and still have bookshelves full of 3 and 3.5 stuff. And they brought back Psionics in 3. And I had the Psionics handbook. It's downstairs on a shelf. I loved it. It was glorious. I really liked 3.0 Psionics because it actually had magic that, like, it was run on an entirely different system. You know, like, they kind of had, uh, like, a mana pool type thing, mm -hmm. which was uh, neat. It actually felt different than casting your wizard spells, for example. Right. So, I, I, I did like 3.0. In 3.5, they ditched that and made some version that was just sort of like, here's a different kind of wizard. Right. And I was very sad. I just used 3.0 with 3.5. It was fine. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, they, nobody would let me use it. And so my, my beautifully tabbed and, and organized Psionics handbook got used for like two gaming sessions and that's it. <sighs> that's not right, Andrew. Don't raise your fist in celebration. That's bullshit. It I, was... I use mine quite a bit. Played a lot right. of Psionics, had a lot of Psionics in my games. Good. Good. Is it was good. They finally got it right. And like like you said, it, it felt like a different kind of magic. It didn't feel inherently more powerful, but it was different. And I think that scared people. I don't know what the beef people had with it was, but I think that 3-0 Psionics are the best Psionics have been done. Ever. Yes. Um, more Psionics. I mean, I'm not even in love with the the theme of Scions. Like, mm -hmm. I, I think in some ways it's actually a little lame, but I loved the system that they put out for it. I loved that there was a type of magic that felt different. To me, that was, I mean, that drew me in. I was all about the Scions for that reason, honestly. I'm kind of confused there for a second. I thought we were friends, and then you just kind of crapped on me. I'm like, oh, just, oh no, wait. I, I, it was too I much science crap. fiction we're, 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 in my fantasy world. It's not science fiction. It's psychic fact. That's what it is. Y'all suck. So, on our little adventure, Mark's going to be taking us through the next iteration. You have to get up, Mark? I got to kick my cat out of the house. Go so do it. <laughs> but Go do then, it. yes. Okay. Need to get that cat fixed. I love psionics. Psionics are where you Not cast spells with your mind, right? Yeah. You can, like, yeah. mind needle. They have some spells like that now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. My fa I, I, I swear I want to do, I want to run a campaign where everybody is a fucking binder, though. Everybody has to play a binder. 
and and I want to trick Chris. Oh my goodness! There you go. <laughs> Science fiction and my fantasy. No, world. that's what you're. That's what you're bringing. No. Well, when you were talking about the D20 system, that reminded me because we played a lot of D20 Modern. Like when that book came out, that was super super fun. Mm-hmm. So that was third edition, the D20 system. Yep. Yep. And they used it for, you know, everybody and their mother wanted to jump on it because it was going to be this standardized thing. And I mean, it, you know, and it, it obviously has an incredible amount of merit because of how popular Pathfinder But I mean, is. didn't GURPS do that? Like make a system that was just like pretty straightforward and then, then everybody and their brother made supplements and you could play GURPS as a cowboy or, or a space pirate or a anthropomorphic bunny they, rabbit they did but it was never as popular because dungeons and dragons is the most popular one that's true and so once people know how to play dungeons and dragons third edition then they can just hop onto whatever whatever else because it's it's the same shit yeah yeah so yeah all that stuff suffered all of all of the little cottage industry rpgs have really suffered and benefited kind of hand in hand because of the D&D juggernaut. Tell me what your eyebrow says there, Andrew, as you cock it skyward. Oh, I don't disagree. Oh, okay. Wait, what? <laughs> no, I, Where's the punchline? When the, did... There's no punchline. I'm just, it, it's, a, it's an aside that I just don't want to get off on. So it's, it oh, just has to do with intellectual oh, property and the fashion industry and patents and copyright and how, you know, the fashion industry can get along just fine without any copyright, with, well, without any patent protection whatsoever. You know, the reason Louis Vuitton puts the LV all over their purses is because they can't patent the design of the purse. They can only patent the logo and so, or they can only copyright the logo. So it prevents people from duplicating the design. Same reason why that's why the designers put their names in big, bold letters all over their their products. They don't have Mm. any patent protection. But that absence of patent protection doesn't stifle creativity. It actually increases creativity. There's probably no more. There's probably no other industry more creative and more productive in the creation of new things than the fashion industry. And it is because it doesn't have artificial restrictions on production. You know, I can make a dress or, you know, I can make you know, a handbag or whatever. And there's no, and I can make yours. And the only difference is that I can make one cheap or you can make one really well made. And then it becomes down to who's going to be able to make the best product at the cheapest price. But the design itself isn't owned. The notion that ideas are owned is... You know, think about Disney and the you look at copyright law and how it's extended. It used to be, I think, seven years, then it was 14, then it was 28, and then, I was, then it was the life of the author, and then it's the life of the author plus 50, 40 years. And, and you know, that, that maps Steamboat Willie. I mean, every time Steamboat mm-hmm. Willie's ready to have its, you know, cop, go into the public domain, you know, Disney lobbies and has it extended some more. But that, restricts creativity and restricts you think about characters like Sherlock Holmes and how many fantastic derivative works have come off of that you know the that popular tv show house that was 
that would have mm. never happened had Sherlock Holmes been, you know, in the, you know, copyright protected, right? It's in the pub, pub Sherlock Holmes is in the popular, in the uh, public domain. So you can build off of that. Ideas need to be more free. And then we can, as I said, I them. agree on both points. And then we can just I build agree off with of you. Them. So it's very frustrating when we talk about, you know, D&D being a blessing and kind of a, a stifling thing. It, it is, it's true. When they opened it up and D20 came out and they allowed others to use their intellectual property to expand, it was a great opportunity to see lots of new creative stuff. It didn't hurt them, really. They thought that it did, I guess. They, they've dialed that back, tried to gain more control over it, and we see less creativity, maybe. Or we see creativity published on a, in a different way, on a smaller scale, less accessible. You know, you cre- you would duplicate that stuff at your own table, but you're not sharing it with the world necessarily. It's mm-hmm. so yeah, all of that stuff that is totally off topic, but you know, there. But I'm glad you said it. So we're going to be talking next about the version of Dungeons and Dragons that I have not played. I have not played Fourth Edition, Mark. You know this. I I haven't. I've I've none looked of at you it. Have have you? I haven't. None of us. No, oh, I refused. I I just spent tons of money updating to three point five, and I was not doing it again with fourth. Yeah, that was one of the things that hurt fourth edition. So fourth edition is probably uh, not probably. It is the most hated edition of Dungeons and Dragons, and one of the reasons is because you know. The original run was like 20-some years, and then, you know, they ran for, what, three years, and then they had 3.5, which annoyed people, and then you wait like four more years, and all of a sudden there's 4th edition, which is a wild change, and, you know, that was something that annoyed people, that 3rd edition ended up having such a short lifespan that way. I mean... Obviously, that lifespan's been extended through Pathfinder and so forth. But, you know, as far as Wizards of the Coast is concerned, it was a... And, you know, players that play strictly Dungeons and Dragons, it was a short lifespan. They just updated their stuff to 3.5. Now there's 4th. Another thing that hurt 4th edition was that it was a big change for a lot of people. Like, they thought it... Like, the artwork style changed, for one thing. Like, whenever I looked at 4th edition originally, I saw the artwork and the way things were presented, and I thought, they are just trying to make this, like, wow or something. And I I disliked it intensely. But, a few years later, because 4th edition came out in 2008, and 5th didn't come out till 2014. So... I had some time to get used to the idea. <laughs> and, you know, whenever I started playing, there was a guy who, he was inviting me to his campaign. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. I'd love to play. And he was like, we're playing fourth. And I was like, Ugh, <laughs> I don't know if I want to do this. And then I was like, all right, so, you know, like how many battles are you running? And in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't want a lot of battles because to me, Battles in 3.5 were sort of boring. There was a lot of rule lookup. There were these, you know, your spells. I think they have this in 5th too, 
which annoys me, is they have, like, cones and rays and all of these mm. different spell shapes that, you know, they're kind of hard to just, like, template unless you have, like, a cutout for each specific cone and all that. It's very annoying if you are attempting to use a grid or anything like that. And so combats, to me, got kind of tedious. Whenever I was running three, oh, three, five campaigns, I thought that combat kind of sucked. And so, but anyway, so this guy says, oh, don't worry, we've got plenty of combat. And I was like, I am not going to enjoy this campaign, but I'll try it. And then it got there and I realized that 4th edition was much maligned because what they'd done is all your spell shapes, they were either bursts, so they came out a certain number of squares from the character. So, you know, if you have like a burst one, that is every square around your character. That's where the spell effects. And then it, there were other ones that you could place. Like, you know, it would be like, I kind of forget that it might be, I don't remember the name, it's the other type, but like, let's say it's a three by three square, right? And you can place that any, a certain number away from you. And that made combat with miniatures or without actually, but fourth edition, that was another thing that annoyed people. You basically had to use miniatures with it. But I liked miniatures, and I liked that I no longer had to deal with these weird area of effects for spells. So I thought that was very convenient. So they, they really streamlined that part of it. Another thing that they did was, so you have a whole... So in 3.0 and 3.5, you have a whole lot of different books, right? Because you were buying all these, you know, different publishers' things, as well as Wizards of the Coast's own supplements. And you could buy the books for 4, 4th edition, but I never bought a single one. And I didn't, like, pirate them or anything either. They just were unnecessary because... The way that you would do it is you had a you'd get a subscription to D&D Insider and it was $5 a month and that gave you access to the character builder and the character builder had every single option organized in a wonderful online interface where you could go through and you would build your character at whatever level just by going through clicking on your options you could read all the spells all of everything and they would, and it was super easy to see what you had to do. Like, and you got that. You also got like the uh, sort of on the DMs. You got the monster builder, which I, it might not be called that, but whatever. You had every enemy that was ever made in any supplement, and in addition, you could make your own, or you could add your own custom sort of abilities to the character builder. Either way, it was like customizable, and. It really streamlined everything. You got access to all that, basically the equivalent of every book, because it had the rules in there too. You could look up any rules specifically on that for five bucks a month. And only one person, the DM, really had to have it. But in most games, the other players would end up getting it too. So yeah, I never bought a single fourth edition book. And the fourth edition books still annoy me, because I don't like the artwork. But... <laughs> I didn't uh, either. I didn't like the artwork in 2nd edition either. Throw that out. But the way that 4th edition worked 
is basically your you would have your characters, right? And they had at the end anyway a huge number of classes and some of them were sort of subclasses of, you know, say a wizard or whatever. And then once you hit 10th level, then there used to be what was it prestige classes in mm-hmm. third and 3.5 so you would like switch off and actually become a different class or something. Whereas in 4th edition, they streamlined that a bit, and whenever you hit 10th level, you're going to choose a Paragon Path. And so if you were a fighter, there might be 20 or 30 of these things that you could choose. So at that point, every character is going to become much, much different than any other character of the same class. So it's like a a mandatory prestige class, but you have gazillion options. You just like specialize in something. Another big change was the skills. So much like 5th edition, the skills, you would just select the ones that you had, right? So you select the ones you had and you get a certain bonus. It it isn't like 5th where it's all the same with like the proficiency thing, but like your skills, you wouldn't, like in 3rd, you would go through and you would get to spend your skill points and decide exactly how many you wanted to put in each. And I thought that was cool. Fourth edition did away with that, made it simpler. I'm like 50-50 on that feature. But I I don't really don't like it in fifth. But anyway, the big change also was that everybody had powers. So if you were a fighter, you might have something like called whirlwind swipe where you would have a burst effect and you you might even have other things that you could do at a distance depending and they were all powers and they were either going to be um at will like your basic attack they are once per encounter so after you have a short rest you'll get that back and then dailies which you could only use once a day and that was it and whenever you got your character sheet they were all there in like a three by three grid and you could just mark which ones you'd use for the day and tracking it was very very simple but it you know if you were a fighter in third edition you were mainly like just gonna role play and then whenever it got into combat you were like i'm i'm gonna swing my great sword at it or you know if it flies i'm gonna get my atlatl or whatever <laughs> and use that but in fourth edition Everybody had all kinds of powers, so everybody essentially had sort of their own variant of spells, and they all worked the same way. So everything became simpler that way. And those are, I think, that the the major changes that happened in 4th edition. I think it came at sort of the wrong time. It, it annoyed players with the changes, and it annoyed publishers as well, as Steve mentioned. I... And, you know, it might have also been stymied by the, I'm not sure when the character builder was introduced and all that convenience to it. But I think by that, I mean, if it came later, because I started playing Fourth later in its uh, thing, I think that the, I think that the amount of content that was released later with all of that absolutely helped it. So I think it probably just got off to a rough start. Everyone got a bad taste in their mouth. And yeah, 4th edition is really good if you like tactical combat. And it had things that carried over into 5th edition. So, you know, in in reading about it and 
understanding that the short and long rests, for instance, the integration of that is something that really came about in fourth edition as a way for people to catch a breather and do some resource management and sleep and hopefully not die the next time they leave the room unattended. And also the the whole cantrip, you know. The, the, the at-wills, yeah. Yeah, so these zero-level spells that you can just go over and over and over, you know, here's a little freezing finger or, you know, whatever. That, that concept, I've kind of had trouble getting used to that concept, but at the same time, I've always, I always wanted something like that from back in the day. You know, it always seemed like that a wizard should be able to do certain little things. And, and they've, they've kind of done that in, in fourth edition. Didn't three, five have cantrips as well? Yes. You guys. But they weren't. Huh? had darts. I carried so many damn darts that it was insane. That was your cantrip. You had a dart. And a sling. That was awful. And sling stones. Like 1D2, 1D3. Yeah. No, that was awful. That was awful. The reliance on the cantrip, the level zero in 5th edition, is something I really like. That you have the ability to do these little bitty things just at will repeatedly. Yeah, and that's, that's a carryover from 4th, as is the skill system. I wish they'd carried over more. but Right. So, then, of course... We get to go to Tracy, because Tracy is going to take us through the last bit of our gaming journey this summer as we slog through previous editions to end up probably bloodied and tired at the doorstep oh, of 5th edition. Oh, and 5th edition will we'll open the door and welcome you in and give you a refreshing beverage, and you can take a little nap, <laughs> and then you can get up and fight some baddies. Yeah. I like naps. <laughs> Fifth edition, they engineered it, they play-tested it as D&D Next. And I think that all of the good online stuff that Mark was talking about in fourth edition, they got got to practice and play-test and use the power of the internet to craft the new edition, I think. That's, you know, evolution. They didn't listen to me. I play-tested it and I told them... This sucks. You should go back to change some things. And they didn't listen to me. Well, I think plenty of people said things sucked, and plenty of people probably said they liked some things. Because it's a mix. Like you said, with the skills, oh, like I am not so happy with you just getting one skill bonus, one proficiency bonus that just ranks up as you go. I liked being able to move my skill points around. But... It's kind of a small price to pay for the incredible convenience of the online character generator and the fact that all of these supplements are, you can access them if somebody in your campaign bought them. I really like the way that 5e is like all online here. I do love my books, don't get me wrong. And there's a ton of books now. We were just in Barnes and Noble this afternoon and very pretty (laughs) collection of old names that we remember from our youthful, like Tasha and Morden Kane and, and all those guys. So there's pl- definitely playing on a lot of our nostalgia, bringing up names from the past to tell the stories they're telling now. 
But the major thing, okay, they came out in 2014, so it's been around a little while. I mean, because 1990 was only 20 years ago, right? Uh. Right. <clears throat> Andrew's like, how how long? How long? He, yeah. I, I he's can't like, do 20 man. years. What are you talking about? It's only been 20 years, Andrew. I suppose I was only like five. So. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> oh, my kid reminded me today while we were out shopping. I looked just like I did in high school, only tireder. <laughs> So one of the things I really like. It's like it's, it's like I wonder why that <laughs> yeah, is, kid. Like you haven't slept in twenty years, you know. Like I don't know. But <laughs> we have advantage and disadvantage. Is a new mechanic that they introduced in fifth edition, where you can roll two d twenties based on other circumstances. Like in in previous editions, the DM could like sort of apply advantage or disadvantage in their heads by, you know. The difficulty on this is 10, but it's raining and it's slippery, so I'm increasing the difficulty to 15. So this is a different way of putting disadvantages. I think third also had plus two and minus two. Was, was their, standard? their standard disadvantage, and, like advantage and disadvantage. But disadvantage and advantage, in my opinion, works much yeah, better. Yeah, it's really fun like to it. be able to roll two dice and pick the best or cringe at the worst. You know, that's pretty pretty fun. And you can even roll dice on the computer, and you don't have to roll dice on the table, which is really good in the pandemic. That's how we've been doing a lot of our role-playing. The 5th edition has made it really easy for us to get together and share a tabletop experience over the Zoom. You know, power system of 4th edition was replaced with more traditional class features that are gained as characters level. So... You can still pick feats. You don't get as many choices uh, as you have in, in other editions. But, yeah. I like that you can play it online. <laughs> <laughs> it, is kind of, it is kind of simple. The, the, you know, the things that make 5th edition what it is. It, it is the kind of the ultimate evolution of what happened between second, third, fourth, and, you know, pieces of its kind of revolutionary section or what you said, you know, the, the advantage-disadvantage is, is a really simple, easy concept. It is my favorite thing about 5th edition. I would agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually, the, the game that I took the, uh, the kids through and and childhood friends children we used fifth edition as the core but as we were playing it i realized that what i really had was this opportunity to do this storytelling adventure with these kids and not rely so much on looking at bonuses and numbers so i took their core stats and no matter what class they were or anything we used those core stats and everything was either a straight roll, a disadvantage, or an advantage. And given what they did in the story and what the situation was, I had them roll one die or two die, okay. take the highest, take the lowest. And we modeled everything over that. And it was, it was incredibly freeing and wonderful, and it worked. So you can boil down 5th edition to just stats, advantage, disadvantage, or straight. And it works. And I I think that's 
that's a testament to, you know, all this time of the system evolving and having these little revolutions at punctuated intervals. Andrew, you were inclining? Yeah, I, I was, it just dawned on me that we've kind of come full circle. The very first edition of D&D, before AD&D came out, one of its criticisms was that it was too open, too open to interpretation, too kind of, you know, you just kind of wing it and go. And the reason it became so codified was because of competitive play. And a lot of that competitive play has been, I don't know, almost shunned a little at the table now. There's, there's, there's sort of this, ironically, a little bit of antagonism about having some competitive attitudes at the table. And so fifth edition is essentially first edition. Thanks for joining us on Game Mastery. You can always check us out on anchor.fm slash game dash mastery or follow us on Twitter at mastery underscore game, Instagram at Game Mastery Podcast, or Facebook and YouTube at Game Mastery. If you'd like to ask us a question or get some follow-up information, maybe submit a topic for the show, please email us at rpg.gamemastery at gmail.com. And we'll be back next week for more information to make your games better and to make you a better Game Master.